want to warm welcome back to our sixth season of FinTech for the People. I'm Rahil Rangwala, Managing Partner of Axio Adventure Lab and your host this season. For our new subscribers, Axio Adventure Lab invests in early stage FinTech startups across the globe, and we get excited about the innovations that bring financial access to excluded populations. I'm excited to have Supriya Paul, the co-founder and CEO of Josh Talks, as our guest for today's episode. In addition to building one of India's largest local language content platforms, she's an author, featured in Forbes Asia 30 Under 30, and is in, has an intimate perspective of the aspirations driving India's youths today. Welcome to the podcast, Supriya. I'm excited to have you share your perspective with our listeners on the challenges and opportunities for India's youths as they prepare for this shift that is happening in the nature of work. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and also about Josh Talks. Thank you so much, Rangil, for having me. Um, so I'm Supriya Paul. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Josh Talks, an organization that I started back in 2015 when I was 19 years old and almost going into my final year of college. The thought behind Josh really was that, you know, young people have so much potential, but they don't do enough with their time and they don't become productive members of society. So in India, typically people are conditioned to believe that whatever they've been taught academically has to be the profession that they end up in. So like any sort of average middle class child, I was studying to be a, a chartered accountant and I spent the first 18 years or 19 years of my life just preparing for that one day till I realized that that's not a career that I wanted. And I felt really the lack of good role models at the time, people who could actually give me the right kind of advice, give me, you know, career counseling and direction and actually help me unlock my true potential. And that's sort of the initiating, initiating thought behind Josh that can we actually help unlock young people's potential and guide them to their best outcome. One of the reasons I'm really excited to have you on today is, I mean, besides the fact that you've built this incredibly large platform with 100 million plus viewership base, and what I'm most excited about is that you have this direct line of communication to youth of India. And as a result of being involved in this business and building it from scratch, you have a unique insight into this segment. So... What do you what do you think are the aspirations of India's youths today and, and what drives them? And how are the aspirations evolving right now? Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, the aspirations really depend on the kind of exposure that you've had in your life. Um, and that's where it changes. And the internet is actually doing that. It's changing the exposure and therefore the aspirations. Uh, but for a huge part of young India, and you could consider maybe, you know, 40 to 45 percent of people, the first order of aspiration, at least when it comes to their career, is taking a government job. That yeah. still continues to be the highest aspiration. And it's not something that has changed in the last, you know, three to four decades, because it's just the conditioning that they've had since the time that they were young and they saw their parents. What's really interesting and what's changing now is that with the internet economy, there are a new order of aspirations that are forming. So, for example, becoming a YouTuber wasn't something that people would look at, you know, uh, gig work, freelancing, these kind of opportunities wasn't wasn't like the ideal job. So even now, with people who don't want to, say, go into a government job and they are looking at private form of employment, they are considering offbeat careers like, you know, YouTube or anything to do in the digital domain. So it's a, it's kind of an interesting time because whatever content you consume on the internet, ends up becoming your aspiration. Uh, but what is what is really interesting and sort of contextual to this podcast is that every order of aspiration is to become financially independent. 
So the first goal is that how do I reach that 20 to 25,000 rupee per month income and then everything else follows. Very interesting. And, you know, this really segues well into what I was going to ask you next, right? Because uh, the topic of this series is, is future of work. And we're seeing artificial intelligence, automation, hybrid work, where remote work is now becoming more prevalent, gig work. And you talked about this this new class of jobs, which is influencers and YouTubers. It's a massive shift, both in the nature of work and you're, and as you're saying, it's also a shift in the aspirations. So what are the opportunities as a result of this shift? And then there are challenges as well, right? So for the youths that that you see on your platform, like what are their challenges as well as what are the opportunities that they are now tapping into? Yeah, so I think the biggest challenge that continues to remain is one, access to uh, technology and also being skilled in using technology, right? So whenever we speak of AI and we speak of the future of work, there is still very less uh, you know, transmission of this knowledge that's actually gone to tier 2, tier 3 India. So right now, it's sort of like that phase where people are trying to figure out what it's going to take to continue to still have jobs. And as a result of that, anticipating and then upskilling themselves uh, for a huge demographic. So I think, you know, like even for, see, people who are living in uh, semi-urban peripheries, there is still only one smartphone in the house or two smartphones that are being shared by a member, uh, by four members. So that's another challenge that comes in, which is just, you know, access to data and access to the internet to be able to do something. But what are the opportunities in this space? And and even if you look at it from a gender lens and what's become really interesting is that more women are now working, especially because remote work has become the norm in certain uh, segments. And even if you look at Earlier, you know, call centers and BPOs required you to come physically to work. But now they've been able to create setups where people are able to do sales calling or customer service from home. And that industry has seen a huge shift with a lot of women becoming customer support representatives and taking employment from home. So that's sort of how the transition has been in gig work. And the aspirations of women have changed accordingly. The same girls who we used to talk to earlier, whose, you know, goal was to set up a beauty parlor or who would look at jobs like tailoring, uh, or, you know, working in a shop are now looking at sales as a profession which didn't exist earlier. So that's something that's been in- enabled just by remote work. And you're seeing this across tier one, tier two, tier three cities, or are you seeing some more geographic choices? It's geographic um, and it's also sort of, uh, you know, on the basis of what language are you speaking? So, you know, we still have 90% of India who's not able to speak in fluent English, right? So yeah. a lot of jobs that they are relying on are in the medium of instructional language that they are fluent in. The opportunities that exist today in say roles like sales, customer service, etc. are in a few languages and that, therefore there is this whole uh, you know geog- geographic uh, divide. But what's really also happened at least is that if you look at say the south of India, right? Most of the engineers working in remote cities are actually employed in the US, UK, and even Netherlands. Like I would have never imagined Netherlands. But there are companies that are training and upskilling these workers and getting them jobs outside of India. A lot of people are also working for uh, the Gulf countries. And all of that has happened post-COVID, where the entire sort of shift has gone to remote work. Uh, but from a AI perspective, the understanding is very less right now. Um, and you know how people in Tier 1 India are very fearful of Mm. what the next opportunities are going to be and what do you need to upskill yourself in? Is your job going to become redundant or not? 
uh, we're not seeing that kind of information being passed on to tier two, tier three India yet. I want to go back to an earlier point you made, which is the number one thing that you're hearing from your your customer base is how do we first get financially independent, which is this twenty thousand yeah. to twenty five thousand rupee or three hundred dollars per month number. How do you help them answer that puzzle, right? Because of course that's one of the most critical things: getting financially independent. Yeah, so we do that in two to three ways right now. Um, the first way is through the content that we produce. The kind of content strategies that we develop across different languages are based on what are some of the jobs that are actually present today, and that can provide you some form of economic independence or you know financial freedom, as we call it. And that's sort of how you know role models are actually built up on the platform, where we get speakers from those domains and they share their story of how they sort of generated that income or wealth, and then inspiring others and giving them to dos on how they can do the same. The second is one of the biggest challenges or problems that we realized with our audience was that to reach a twenty thousand rupee job, you need to be able to speak in fluent English. You can make that nine to twelve thousand rupees a month by not knowing English as a language. But if you are looking at joining, you know, the workforce, the corporate workforce, you need English as a medium of communication. And that's why in 2019 we launched our own spoken English app because what we realized is for that this base level of employment you don't need to be able to you know write in English constructively or have your grammar correct. But what people are seeking as employers is confidence in communication and being able to articulate your thoughts. So the entire platform is based on people speaking and becoming fluent in spoken English. Uh, and over a period of 90 days we see them move. Uh, two levels up at which they can actually get employed in call centers, BPOs, and even for any you know reception work, office work, any kind of communication led jobs at a starting of twenty five thousand rupees. So that's sort of the two interventions that we have right now to get people to that level. I, I want to double click on each one, right? So first one you talked about the content, right? Which is you're bringing these role models on, and they. Essentially, are showing the path. Can you can you give a little bit more specific of an example of one or two kinds of influencers that you bring onto your platform? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, in COVID, when you becoming a YouTuber was something which was say aspirational, um, we ended up getting a speaker who's you know from a remote village in Tamil Nadu in the south of India. Who started their YouTube channel in their basti or that you know in their one bedroom sort of uh, settlement, and from that one bedroom settlement grew to about two and a half million subscribers, where their monthly income just from wow. AdSense is about one and a half lakh rupees. And you know, even if you look at the largest YouTube channels from India, Rahil, it's amazing. There is this, uh, you know, there's this village cooking channel which is at 10 million subscribers, which is a bunch of women who cook for the entire village, and they shoot that entire process and upload it online. And they've been able to create so much income, not only from AdSense but also from branded content that they've been able to get that entire village into schools. So they've just, you know, Impressive. like community funded their entire education. So. That's also, I think, you know, what I see as a difference between people who come from uh, lesser privilege or from you know smaller communities is that they want to give back. So it's not only to gain wealth or to become financially independent, but it's also to donate a certain section to everyone else and bring the community forward together, which is not something which is super common in like tier one India. So you bring these kinds of 
people who run their these YouTube channels and and they and they share their experience. Yeah, so YouTube is just one career because it was something that caught on and they share their experience of how they did it. We've also had say an engineer who's working in India remotely for a US based company and was over here with one of the bigger IT services companies but was earning say 6 to 7 lakhs a year is now working remotely and making 40 to 50 lakhs. So wow. about close to say 70,000 US dollars. uh and how that's changed his life trajectory completely and he shares how he got skilled enough to be able to get that job so these talks are not just inspirational where you know we are showing you a career that you can go to but there are quantifiable action points that are given at the end which teach you exactly what you need to do or what you need to study how you need to upskill yourself to be able to get the same opportunity yeah and I, and i think you guys have a very interesting starting point which a lot of other platforms or maybe at text skip over which is just showing the possibility that this is a reality that people have never even considered and they've never thought about because they've always they've never pictured themselves in that in those shoes so i think it's a really interesting starting point of making a, a reality feel actually achievable and attainable because it's very relatable in the kind of people that you're bringing onto your platform I, I, it's amazing i i blows me away every time i hear you talk about it Let me talk about the 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 second one which is you talked about your English app right which is on spoken English. Yeah. Impressive again, right? 90 days you're getting people uh two levels up. How did you guys come up with this idea and what are the lessons or learnings that you've had through the process of building this this application? I think how we came up with the idea was from the users interacting with us on a daily basis and so as as a content company we publish most of our videos on youtube and over there you know the youtube like i i always say this that the youtube comments are like an encyclopedia because there's so much learning into what a user is thinking and how they're feeling just by the way that they're commenting and this was one thing that we were getting again and again that you know it's great that i heard this story but i don't even know how to type in english or speak in english so how will i be able to follow this career or not and that's when we really started our research that are there any other platforms or apps that are teaching english but not theoretical writing english just speaking english and can we provide that as a source for our users when we went out of the market we realized that there were apps who were doing it but the completion rate was really really poor um and that's when we really got deep into figuring out why exactly those apps were not working why was completion a problem and i think our biggest learning from that experience which actually led to us developing the core feature of the app is that passive educational content just doesn't work if you look at education it's traditionally in the form of a school or a college where curriculum is taught and the teachers are important but what makes a school a school or a college or college is the vibe that's there in a classroom because of the students who you are studying with a lot of those students end up becoming your study partners you also end up going into different societies communities you contribute a lot and that's how you grow as an individual but when we were looking at education online and through mobile applications we saw that this entire social layer is actually missing so people come they enter a hole where there is one teacher who's talking to you it's completely passive you're disinterested and disengaged but your motivation is still keeping you there for a few days and then you ultimately drop off uh it's sort of like the gym right like everybody wants to go to the <laughs> gym on first january but if you don't have that one friend who's like kind of egging you on every single day that you can do it you end up not going you need a partner to be able to do it consistently 
um and that's what we created on the app and it's been amazing that you know like our primary feature is a speaking tool where you connect with people who are at your level or one level above and there are a certain number of minutes that you have to spend every day practicing to get you to the next quiz or next task on the app so it's a completely like gamified social experience and we see an average person speaking in english about 52 minutes per day wow so we've been able to solve for that completion and yeah engagement there and then how many users do you have <laughs> and how many active users so cumulatively up until now we've had 350000 people who've learned with us uh, it's a paid app so the volume of users is not high in comparison and on an average monthly basis we have close to 15000 paid learners who sign up that's impressive and then well actually and and the 15 52 minutes per day is even more impressive right those are i think mm-hmm. um, candy crush may be having those kinds of stats <laughs> and it's yeah. hard to see that yeah, in an education, education you don't see this at all you don't see yeah. that in an education app so that's really impressive right. and and it's amazing that you went able to monetize right because a lot of these apps usually don't monetize up front and it's all free but to get 15000 paid users is is phenomenal and and great completion rates as well unheard of i think in the industry so what's next for the for the learning side i mean i know you're doing english are you considering other skills as well or right now is your focus on english from a skill based point of view our focus is on english we actually did try to teach other skills like digital marketing etc but what we realized was again completion was really poor um and for those skills you need to have an intense cohort based curriculum with a smaller cohort and a live teacher um and that's something that we've decided to park for later because we don't have the bandwidth and the, the kind of cost that people would pay for something like this wouldn't cover uh, the yeah. cost of technology to develop it so that's something that we've parked as a separate uh, you know project to take up later but what we are working on right now is is really interesting we realized that through these eight years of building josh what we've essentially built is trust because people are coming and watching an average of three videos a month um and they're returning they're engaging with the community a lot of them have also purchased the english learning app so they've sort of realized that as a brand we deliver what we say and then you know kind of going back to that what we realized was that trust is a is an important factor in a lot of different decisions with respect to your career um and your overall education and we started studying the segments where you know trust is the only thing that you kind of decides your purchasing behavior and we realized that that continues through decisions like which coaching institute to go to which school to go to which college to go to whether you're studying abroad and what universities to go to and that's where a lot of our research has been happening over the last 6 to 12 months so we started out with our first um, sort of product which is being run as a pilot right now which is just helping students pick out the right coaching institute for them ah because that's a heavy spend that they're already making you know like for something like upsc coaching they're anyway spending close to 1 and 1/2 lakhs to 2 lakhs a year to study and right. they'll do it uh, but our goal is to be able to one get them scholarships so we are tying up with institutes that are giving us say 40% of scholarship um and second is being able to recommend them the right institute or right teacher both online and offline uh, uh. so it's very early on but basically the role that josh has in this entire sort of play is of the elder brother who's guiding the student and helping them on the basis of their skill sets and their strengths and weaknesses choose the right institute for them and if this works or when this works then we'll scale it to other propositions as well 
uh, which will include like choosing your university or choosing your college to study abroad. I, I think it's a great graduation product or even a hook product for other other things that you're building. Yeah. You know, the other part of this is obviously financial literacy. Uh, as as these youth are coming into the ecosystem and they're doing very different jobs. Yeah. And I know on your platform, you have a lot of finance content, right? On your main, main channel. I, yeah. It's a really interesting approach that you have taken also in terms of financial literacy and your Josh Money channel has like 500,000 subscribers, which yeah. is phenomenal. Tell us a little bit more about the purpose of this channel and how you think about financial literacy as well. This actually came out of COVID because again, what happened during COVID, uh, Rahil, is that there were a lot of influencers that were creating content on the internet. And it was also the right time from a market perspective for people to start investing. As a result of which, there was a high degree of fake influencers who became very prominent as well, uh, who were getting people to, you know, start investing without teaching them fundamentals of how and why. And just based on their recommendations, people were going ahead and parking their money. So our objective behind starting the Josh Money channel really was to give credible information out, but also cover basics. Uh, you know, some of the things that we realize that people aren't even aware about are some of the schemes which are provided by the government that they are eligible for, uh, especially with respect to, you know, finance for women, whether it's in the form of loans for, uh, you know, just personal consumption or even for uh, business loans, etc. We saw that there is this huge divide um, and information asymmetry that exists, which is still there, maybe. Uh, you know, like there's information available on the internet in English, but if you look at languages like Hindi, Marathi, Bengali, Tamil, there's nothing. And that's that's why we started out. Uh, the second thing that we also use the channel for is to do business case studies to show end-to-end -end how someone actually made money. So whether it's like a mushroom farmer or, you know, it's someone who's running a beauty parlor. So what are fundamental unit economics looking like for different businesses and how do people actually run their organizations? Uh, yeah. And then there are, of course, registered traders who also come and talk about their journey of earning money and why it's important to start investing early. So that's typically the broad range of conversations that happen. So so these topics can sometimes be very dry, right? I mean, we're talking about, I mean, finance yeah. is not an exciting, uh, it's not like watching soccer or watching cricket uh, on, on online. Yeah. How, do you, how do you communicate these in the content that you create? What are your ABCs of creating this content in a way that lets that gets people hooked? They stick around, they watch the whole thing, and is consumable by the audience as well. Yeah, so I think we sort of like across everything that we produce, we look at, you know, two main R's actually, which is just relatability and relevance. Uh, and those are the fundamentals that we create content on. So even with respect to the Josh Money channel, the idea is that, okay, is the conversation that's happening relatable to me? So if I am in an income group or if I'm a student who's just 21 years old and I'm not earning right now, is this conversation still relatable for me? And second is, again, relevance. So, and how we kind of bring that together or how we make these topics interesting is by using people's stories or experiences to deliver information. Because we tried it out, you know, we had like a bunch of videos which were uh, data-led, where there were a lot of infographics, we had anchors, we had voiceovers, but we realized that doesn't work. Simple, plain storytelling of, hey, I am an average citizen of this country. At 25, I was making 1 lakh rupees a month. I decided to save 30,000 every month and here is how I invested it. And now when I'm 30, here is what my portfolio looks like. 
content like that does well where you can see your own journey through the eyes of someone else who's already been there and done that mm-hmm. and then take actionables from the steps that they made and then for government schemes of course we have to make it a little bit more in depth and informational because people don't know or uh, one if they are eligible or not so we have to provide context into eligibility and second is the application process is really cumbersome so we try to break it down into simple steps for people to be able to apply got it yeah and and i think government application or well, government jobs is such a big hook anyways i think a lot of at least in india people will sit through stuff i mean they spend so much money yeah. just to even get to the application stage right so i can see that being a a hook in and of itself you know we've talked a lot about this this emerging workforce and and the fact that there is this completely change in their aspirations and completely different types of jobs they're going after and they also have now opportunity that perhaps they didn't have you know 15 20 years ago their financial needs are also evolving as a result of that right so what do you see is as some of the the more unique financial needs of this emerging workforce in in india today So what what has changed or what's become really interesting is how the penetration of UPI has happened right and i think that's something that's it's changed industries like 2 years ago we wouldn't think of you know having an educational product where people are paying online even if it's 500 rupees right so with that happening what's also led is that the aspiration to earn more money has increased because people are just you know like it's so easy to now buy digital products that was a little bit of a barrier so people were not becoming so consumeristic online uh. but now with the kind of exposure that individuals are getting the kind of content that they are watching the need to buy more has increased uh, it's become really easy to make payments it's become really easy to actually get supplies or get goods to your location because of how logistics has evolved and therefore the aspirations have changed completely yeah. the same user who i was talking about earlier who wanted to earn 15 to 20000 is now looking at 25000 to 30000 they want to work in double shifts to be able to get that money because they have so many areas of mm. uh, spending that has uh, opened up so um, i think in terms of you know overall financial need needs one is of course the stable income that everyone is looking at but second is this passive income so this kind of thought process earlier was not there in young people you know like everyone was thinking about just spending their salary and moving on but people now are looking at becoming more productive and having two or three different lines of income right. um and even if you look at say a person who works at josh today in the video production team they'll be a video editor who's working here in house on a salary but the same people are editing content for people in different countries and have uploaded their uh, work profiles on freelancer etc and are getting gig work and making more money so that the thing of you know like the drive to make money has increased a lot um and especially in covid because it's become easy to do this online yeah and second is just it's a really it's a funny story but like there was this person who was one of our um, users on the app and he was earning somewhere close to 9000 or 11000 and he got his first job and after, which was for 20000 25000 like his first corporate job and then we asked him what's the first thing that you bought for yourself and typically we expect someone to see a cycle or you know spectacles for my father and he actually bought a pair of adidas shoes which huh. to me was like wow like you know in a small village in west bengal why are you wearing this but because on instagram he's consumed like influencers content where he's really like those shoes so now the aspiration is and my entire family should have adidas and how much more money do i need to make what skills do i need to be able to afford that 
So it's it's really interesting. <laughs> That's a really interesting insight. Yeah. You have so much wealth of information now, all these nuggets, right? So if you had to step back and if, you know, talking to a, a fintech entrepreneur building for this emerging digital consumer right now, what what would you tell them to focus on or any advice that you would have as these fintech entrepreneurs are building for this new market? So my biggest advice would be that what's also happened in the last couple of years is that people have lost money to a lot of financial fraud. So right now, there is a little bit of skepticism around certain platforms and being able to spend money, um, yeah. you know, online. So I think a lot of work has to be on building trust. Often when you are a new company and you started something and you launched something and now you're spending ad dollars on customer acquisition, you tend to be very pushy towards purchase or towards transactions. And that doesn't work for a large group of audience sets in our country. So I think the first is what more can you do in terms of your communication to make the user trust you, especially with respect to the safety and security of your platforms, uh, because they've, they've already gone through that problem. So it's, it's a hard problem to solve. And second is, I think everyone tries to reinvent uh, user interfaces because they want to add something to the world. But for a large part of our country, they are very, very comfortable, you know, on certain apps, like, for example, WhatsApp. It's a behavior that took two to three years to adopt and to learn. And now people are comfortable using voice notes and every other feature on the app. So even when we were building our own application, we decided to not reinvent anything. And everything that we teach is chant-based and voice-based. Mm, that's very interesting. So I think that's another insight, which is that, you know, try and stick to what a huge uh, percentage of population are already used to in terms of interface and make it very, very easy for the user to or make a transaction or to actually seek help on a transaction. Okay, great. So, Sapriya, th this was fantastic. Fa really fascinating. I, I think your insights on on the consumer in India and especially this emerging class of consumer is, is so deep and I, I probably could go on and on about it. But to take the, the conversation forward, tell me a little bit more about your own entrepreneurship journey, right? So what, have, what has been the most challenging thing for you as you've been building Josh talks and also what's been the most fun part of being an entrepreneur? I think the most challenging thing for us uh, has been to be patient in this entire journey because when we started out, people were not spending money on the internet. Um, and even when, you know, kind of uh, as we progressed, payments were coming from tier one audiences and not the audiences who watch our content, which was tier two, tier three and tier four. So I think uh, what's been really important is to have that sense of patience that we are building distribution and trust first and then focus on monetization because the urge is always to, you know, start monetizing. And now we're at a place where we have seen that kind of adoption coming in. And because of that trust, we started out with English learning as a product at 500 rupees. Uh, but the UPSE coaching institutes that we are kind of, you know, getting students to enroll in are charging as high in amount is 75,000 rupees after scholarship. So wow. we've been able to get the same user to pay that online as well, right? So that's been an incredible learning journey from, you know, bridging that penny gap of zero to 500 and now going from 500 straight to 75,000 with the same user set. So it's been hard, but I think monetization continues to be a challenge with this audience. And I think what's been really exciting is that we've been able to build a brand that people love. So when you step on the street or you're in a metro and you're wearing a Josh hoodie, there are like 10, 15 people who will always come to you and ask, 
कि यू नो डू यू वर्क देयर और आई यू अ स्पीकर ऑन द प्लेटफॉर्म आई हैव सीन दिस वीडियो ऑफ योर्स आई वाज एबल टू डू दिस इन माय लाइफ बिकॉज़ आई सॉ दिस पीस ऑफ कंटेंट सो अ लॉट ऑफ पीपल और अ लॉट ऑफ फाउंडर्स आर नॉट एबल टू टैंजिबली सी द इंपैक्ट दैट दे आर क्रिएटिंग एवरी सिंगल डे बट विद दैट विद अस दैट हैपेंस अ लॉट सो इट काइंड ऑफ कंटिन्यूज टू पुश यू टू डू मोर Yeah, that's exciting, and and I'm not surprised to hear that because Josh Talks is now pretty much everywhere. It's ubiquitous. It's become such a such a huge platform in India, uh, and it's great to see that um, you get this almost real time tangible feedback from your audience as well. Because most digital platforms are so far removed from their audience, but it sounds like you have the privilege to be able to uh, talk and and interact with your audience. So that's fast fascinating. You know, to end, Supriya, I'll ask you this, and I, I, I suspect it's going to be a hard question for you, which is, if you weren't doing this today, what would you be doing instead? I, because I always think of you and Jewish Talks as one of the same. So I'm trying to one yeah. picture what you would look like if you were not doing this. So the old me who wasn't self-aware was probably going to end up becoming a chartered accountant because that was what I was always, you know, kind of going towards when I was young. Uh, but even now when i think of okay what next like eventually in life where do i sort of see myself do you know and what would i be doing um, of course it will be with josh but like my eventual goal is to also have a, a university oh wow so for alternate curriculums and actually make people job ready through a four year undergrad program which doesn't happen in india right now you get a degree but you're still not skilled enough to get jobs right so maybe that's something that i'll look at in a decade Well, I, I'm 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 so glad that uh, you know you had the right mentors and and advisors early on in your career, and you didn't go down the chartered accountant path. <laughs> and and yeah. you built this fascinating platform. And thank you again for coming on today and sharing your insights. Really loved hearing a lot more about the Indian consumer and this this aspirational new class because you hear so much about it and you really made it real for our audience. So thank you so much, Supriya. Really, it was great to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And that's a wrap for this season of FinTech for the People. Dear listeners, it's been so much fun unpacking this topic of future work and the intersection with FinTech with you all. This season, we heard from experts and practitioners from across the globe. I want to thank Sophie Sertain of Seagap, Stella Temperer of Flourish Ventures, Chris McClay of Mercy Corps, Jamie De Los Angeles of Advance, and Supriya Paul of Josh Talks. They shared with us their perspective on how platforms are one of the big forces shaping the future of work, and how the digitization of SMEs are creating opportunities for these large informal sectors in emerging markets. These changes are bringing more uncertainty in the lives of workers, such as gig workers, and we will need to develop different types of financial services and products that embrace digital channels to address these needs. These changes are also bringing opportunity by making workers more visible, and technology is creating the means of delivering services at scale. The entrepreneurs on our podcast this season are embracing this opportunity and are busy building scalable and viable businesses. Artificial intelligence, HR tech, and platforms are powerful new technologies shaping our world, and we at Axion Venture Lab are excited to see the sector evolve. Thanks for joining us this season. As always, follow us and let us know what you think on Twitter or on our LinkedIn page, where we'll be sharing more resources and perspectives on inclusive fintech. We look forward to hearing from you, and we'll be back soon with the next season of fintech for the people.